Hey everyone. Hello. Hello. Welcome to, uh, ostensibly, not ostensibly, welcome to the final episode of the film room. Yep. We're closing up shop. Yes. Let's get that out of the way first. Let's let's get out what's going on out of the way. Yeah. Um we're rebranding. Yeah. Like we there will still be a podcast. So what's happening is uh we decided to freshen up a bit. Like we are we are we've had Zephyr here on uh for like the last at least ten episodes. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, even more beyond. Uh, yeah, we've decided to go ahead and uh, pull her in as yep. a permanent host. If, if she's hung around my house uh, mm-hmm. at one point, which did happen, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. then, yeah, it's time. So we're doing that. Uh, we are moving to the Omniplex.org. Yes. And we have some very exciting episodes coming. We can't talk about them yet, but... Oh, we're, not yet, trying, no. We're going to get some guests. We're going to... In general, we're trying to... We're kind of acknowledging that the era of bad movies that was associated with The Room has sailed. Doug yeah. Walker, Cinema Sins, Brad Jones turning out to be an absolute monster. Um, yeah. Man, the only thing really that still feels untainted is Rift Tracks. Yeah. And it, I don't think it'll ever taint. That, that's, it's, just too, it's just too happy. Man, they've been on fire lately, too, i got to say. They've had some really amazing stuff. Uh, After 13 years of just constant, constant going, I would hope so. Yep. Uh, I'm going to try and see Jacko when that plays. Um, mm-hmm. We are we're also looking at, you know, there's a lot of life situations that have changed. Um, mm-hmm. I lost my job recently, um, mm-hmm. and by the time you all hear this, hopefully that won't be the same. Uh, but I'm, yeah. I'm at my bets. So we're, we're changing gears. When we started, I had just moved in with Amanda, uh-huh. and now we have Lola, and uh, we've all yeah. been through changes. Yeah, I've uh, I have moved in with my girlfriend in the past year, and uh, like I kind of uh, admittedly public admission slacked on the podcast uh, in recent years, and now. I kind of lit a fire under my own ass. Yeah. So, yeah. So you'll, just you'll still just... You'll, you'll still see some familiar stuff. Um, Absolutely, I, yes. I'm carrying all my columns over. I'm hoping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'll have it'll be the same feed. All these, like all the backlog of the film room, will be available on the same feed. So we're not changing that. But it will be uh, rebranded as a new one. Same content. Like we're probably be going to be a little more aggressive on uh, obtaining guests because we've been on fire lately. Yeah, and we have one coming up that's going to be. Oh, it's going to be great. Y'all, this is this is one that I've been dying to talk to, and uh, we're going to try and get some more on. But tonight. Tonight we are giving this cast one last one last go round, one last visit to the film room, and let's take a look at maybe one of the worst movies we've ever covered. Which is saying something. It is saying something. I would seriously say when you look at Birdemic Two, when you look at a talking cat, when you look at so many movies 
Mm. Some of them, they're at least entertaining. Mm. Cool World is an absolute debacle on every level. Mm. Let's set fire to it. Let's burn this puppy down. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. I'm Albert. I'm Austin. I'm Zephyr. Hey, so... Where do we even begin with Cool World? Let's begin with let's begin with why this movie exists in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a scuzzy reason. Ralph Bakshi just wanted to make some money. <laughs> that's that's literally what happened. Is that the only scuzzy reason? There's a lot of scuzzy reasons, but that's <laughs> the big scuzzy reason is Ralph Bakshi literally was like, "I've been doing TV for ten years. I want to make a movie. I want to make some money. I want to put some change in my pocket." Mm. This movie would, of course, destroy him. Does this have anything at all to? Because I know this was '92, mm-hmm. and uh, I like. Okay, I want to try to keep my comparisons to Who Framed Roger Rabbit at a minimal because mm-hmm. that's the obvious comparison. We're gonna have to bring it up a lot, though. Yeah, but is it is it is it because of that? Like, did he it got see that it because of that? It yeah. got greenlit because of that. Okay. Yeah, Paramount saw how well Roger Rabbit did, and they wanted a slice of that pie. So mm-hmm. they wanted to do the adult version. Mm-hmm. Now, I would like to remind everybody that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a giant, <laughs> giant allegory for the dangers of gentrification, mm-hmm. uh, the Cotton Club. Uh, the just the horrible way that racism worked in early Hollywood. It is a just a searing satire. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is the adult version. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is, we covered it very early on this cast. It is a mm-hmm. masterpiece. It There's nothing more to say about it. Who Framed Roger Rabbit gets better by the day. There's a reason it's still talked about. Because it is an artistic triumph as much as it is a technical triumph. No, it's really more of an artistic triumph. However, there was one big element that, of course, popped out on that movie, and that was Jessica Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to pause to give a little bit of credit. Uh, that character was actually really well-crafted. She was a riff on the film fatale of film noir. Uh, they cast, uh, as her voice, Kathleen Turner, who, of course, played a legendary film noir, uh, film fatale. In body heat um they really got that character right but she also had a character the whole idea was that she was actually this very gentle soul underneath that whole character mm-hmm. yes I'm not, she, I'm not bad i'm just drawn that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's 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 jessica rabbit um now back she's original idea now here's where it gets fuzzy i want to be clear that trying to piece together what really happened on this movie you can get 50 different stories. Mm-hmm. Um, my under- What counts is the original script centered around a tune named Debbie Dallas. I don't need to explain that reference to anybody. Oh. I think. Yeah, that had to get changed. Oh, uh, no. Who has sex with a man in, who's human. The result is a half-human, half-tune child that goes crazy. And... That, of course, got completely gutted. Now, the question is, did Bakshi get the original script from the writers of Poltergeist, or was it vice versa? That there would are, later become Son of the Mask. <laughs> there are conflicting Sorry. stories left and right about this film's production. There are as many... Seriously, it's, it's Rashomon. 
in terms of what we know. Mm. Um, and since nobody involved with the film is particularly happy with it, everybody has, has a version that blames everybody else. Uh, Bakshi hated the writers. The writers hated Bakshi. Bakshi didn't get writing credit, even though either he wrote the core original script and it got rewritten or vice versa. We don't know. And I don't think anybody gives a shit to find out. This is not like Pol Poltergeist where there will forever be debates about who actually directed it. Nobody gives a shit who really wrote this movie. What is known is that Paramount head uh, Frank Mancuso came in and heavily demanded the film get watered down. Uh, Paramount meddled with this movie left and right. They overruled Bakshi on every single choice that he made. Um, for instance, for the male lead, he wanted uh, Willem Dafoe originally, and they couldn't get him. So then he wanted a young guy named Brad Pitt, a name we are unfortunately going to have to bring up a lot in this cast. Mm -hmm. They said no. And, okay, Defoe and Pitt, there's a continuum there. They are movie star, handsome guys who play weirdos beautifully. Mm -hmm. They, of course, settled on Gabriel Byrne. Going to hold my thoughts on Byrne until we actually start talking about the movie. So wait, um, Brad... Brad Pitt was supposed to play the Gabriel Byrne part? Yes, he was. He was. Um, Defoe, Defoe would have been better in that. <laughs> Defoe would have been perfect. I'm mm -hmm. guessing that Defoe took one look at the project and said, hell no. No. No, mm -hmm. look at that man's filmography. That is a filmography of someone who makes his choices well. Mm -hmm. That is a smart man there. Um, he also wanted uh, Drew Barrymore for Hollywood as they wound up renaming the character. Uh, Drew Barrymore in 1992, a comic actress of rare tier, an utter bombshell in 1992. She would have been unbelievably good in this part. Oh my gosh, she would have been incredible. They went with Kim Basinger. Again, gonna hold my tongue. Basinger decided as they were making the movie about midway through, she wanted it to be something she could show at children's hospitals. <laughs> a lot of things are up in the air as to the veracity of them. This one is completely true. This one is multiple sourced. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. So she misunderstood everything. Yeah. Midway through, she went to Bakshi and told him that, and he said, do you know what movie you signed up for? Do you know who I am? Mm-hmm. Um... The film I'm, the Fritz, was, I'm the Fritz the Cat guy. Yeah, the film I was... make stuff for children. <laughs> the film was, of course, an utter debacle at the box office. I think it made half its budget back. Uh, Actually, never directed... Yeah. What did you say, yeah. Zephyr? Uh, yeah, roughly half of it yeah. was made back. And they murdered the hell out of it, so I guarantee you they lost more. Half, yeah. half of it was what now? Half of the budget was made back at the box office. It was a thirty million budget with fourteen point one million. And Bakshi would not direct another theatrical film again. However, he would do one that was completely live action for television in nineteen ninety four, doing a film more or less centered in the beat era called Cool and the Crazy with Alicia Silverstone and an up-and-coming sex cult 
leader named Jared Leto. Mm -hmm. And what is ostensibly his debut film role. And then Bakshi just kind of vanished for a while. And he did put out Last Days of Coney Island, which you can watch on YouTube, in a more or less rough, rough form. Cool World essentially destroyed the Bakshi brand, as it, mm. as it were. It destroyed Bakshi. Uh, Kim Basinger would not have another... She wouldn't get back on track until um, L.A. Confidential. Which would be 1997? Yeah, so she had yeah. five years of... Mm. 1992 was a very bad year for Kim Basinger. Everybody go look that up. It was pretty ugly. Okay. Mm. Uh, yeah. I look that up right now. <laughs> she got sued into bankruptcy in 1992 mm. for failure to make a movie. For failure to make a movie? Yeah, because she dropped out of the film. Um, oh, I see. I see. Yeah. She breached yeah. a contract. Yep. And by all accounts, she did the right thing. Gabriel Byrne would never get a lead role of this level again. And Brad Pitt, um, not yeah, okay. sure what happened to him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Aside from that Oscar, he just won. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pitt would be the one person that would walk out of this unscathed. So yeah, this this would be the guy who did uh, like a three scene part in uh, True Romance and would steal the show. Yeah. Oh, I think the best thing that ever happened to him was meeting Quentin Tarantino. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't make that connection to, uh, um, yeah, to future, to distant and, future. And he had California coming, and that really put him on the map. He had interviews mm-hmm. with the vampire. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt is a very, very smart guy. He, he, mm-hmm. he chooses his roles very well, and... Also, he is an unearthly talent, so, you know, he was going to walk away from this. And, again, we're going to get into the movie. I have thoughts on his performance here. Uh-huh. But, of course, Pitt got the runner-up role. And I just want to start off by saying, you know and how... yet he's still on the cover. Yeah, I want to talk about that. That's where mm-hmm. I want to start with. Do you want to know how lopsided this movie is? It yeah. doesn't bother me that he's on the cover. It doesn't feel like they're mis-selling the movie. Because he's in as much of the movie, if not more than Byrne, who is ostensibly the lead character. But mm-hmm. Pitt is all over this movie. He's in the prologue. He's the one that gets the real climax. So I can just say that I uh, I saw this movie maybe a month and a half ago. Yeah. And maybe two. I forgot what happens to Gabriel's character. I remember exactly what happens to Brad Pitt's character. I didn't give a shit about him. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that as we get on into the movie. How about that? Because I want to yeah. get, I want to take this movie apart piece by piece. And mm-hmm. so let's just begin with the fact that this movie's plot is an absolute goddamn mess. Mm-hmm. The rules make no sense. Mm-hmm. For it is. For- Half of the rules aren't even revealed until way too late in the film. Mm-hmm. Deus ex machina. 
you know, you think about how Edgar Wright crafts his movies so that every single piece is put in play by the end of the first. Two setups, one payoff. This is no setups, one payoff. Is there even a payoff, though? I don't know. No, please. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try and sum up the plot, and you guys correct me. Uh-huh. The movie is about a separate alternate universe that somehow can be breached by people. Um, there's a woman, there's a sexy cartoon woman who keeps drawing men in. Uh Uh, she keeps drawing in this cartoonist, uh, in his sleep. He thinks he's making this world up. He's an underground cartoonist in prison because he killed his wife and her lover. Uh, that means Mm -hmm. nothing by the way, to the plot of the film. Nope. Um, he's an underground cartoonist, uh, he eventually gets pulled into the world. At the same time, there's a detective who's been there since World War II when his mother was killed in a crash, and he was brought in. This is Brad Pitt's character. Mm-hmm. Um, his job is basically the sex police. He keeps humans from having sex with tunes. Yeah, that was the only thing I got from that. Mm-hmm. From that he is case. the sex police. And by the way, Brad Pitt as the sex police is pretty goddamn funny casting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, he has a girlfriend himself in world mm-hmm. they can't do anything with, and it's a source of tension for them. She is voiced, by the way, by this is kind of, this is one of the only happy stories on it. They had a woman, uh, Candace Milo, who mm-hmm. was doing the readings. She was reading the lines to the actors. They wanted mm-hmm. to like her so much. She not only got that job, she's one of the top voice actresses in the business now. Ah, nice. So that happened. Um, so he's the sex police. Um, Hollywood, the uh, bombshell, supposedly, played by Kim Basinger, supposedly, uh, brings Gabriel Byrne's character in so that she can screw him. Mm-hmm. When she screws him, she becomes human. Mm-hmm. And this PG-13 um, movie. This is a PG-13 movie. And then she gets into the real world and she's trying to get this source of power that will merge the two universes, destroy everything, and they have to stop her. And I don't know why that's a plot point. Mm -hmm. Humans become cartoons. Cartoons become humans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gabriel Byrne's character, for some reason, all of a sudden becomes a superhero parody, even though his character has been about as exciting as... uh, a uh, newspaper sitting on the porch for a year. This is... Uh, oh, uh, for some reason, Brad Pitt's character, they come up with this ass-pull rule that he gets to turn into a cartoon. He finally gets to get laid. Uh, this movie sucks. Did I leave anything out, or does any of this make any sense? I mean, you pretty much hit all the high points. Now... There are some good things in this movie, believe it or not. The background design is fucking gorgeous. It's a gorgeous set design film. Well, well, the flat background, yes. The real world backgrounds are atrocious. Yeah, but I'm talking about the animated sets, yes. Yeah, yeah, the animated, well, the parts where you have Brad Pitt interacting with the cartoon set. Those are bad. Yeah. 
those are bad, but just the overall yeah fucked design of the architecture and the and it you automatically get the feel of what this world is. It is a very hateful, spiteful world. Cool world is essentially what happens if John Crick Felusi did a full-length version of Cans Without Labels. Mm-hmm. As discussed on the previous cast. Yeah. It's all there. You have the sexy pinup boob model. You have the whack-ass animation that makes no goddamn sense. No. You have the same vile nature of it. It's just okay. that he's not there. Can I just say it also? The animation is terrible. This is atrociously animated film. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, going back to Roger Rabbit, Mm -hmm. like, when you had the Toons interacting with Bob Hoskins, they took everything into effect, like the lighting scenario, the shading of the characters and everything. The are perfect. Yes. Here, there are some very visible shots where Brad Pitt's arm wrapped around his love interest are too high, and Mm -hmm. it's occupying this unearthly space that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And they didn't bother to fix that. Much like how they didn't bother to actually fix Judy Dench's hand in Cats. Yeah. (laughs) It is, apparently, you can blame Bakshi for a lot of this, because what he told the animators to do was, you just draw whatever the hell you want. If it's funny, it'll make it into the film. Oh, God. That is a horrifying way to make a movie. Can I just say that? Yeah. No, you need to be an animation director, dude. And it's clear that he's trying to create this conglomeration of animation influences from Tex Avery and some of the more lighthearted aspects of Disney with like the gambling rabbit character that's only there for one scene Mm. and as well as his usual take that to Disney where in the background of one of the buildings you can see like a decapitated Mickey Mouse head Uh. Which everyone's done a fucking take that of Disney. It just because you say penis while wearing a pair of mouse ears does not make you subversive. I'm sorry, Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm sorry, Forbidden Zone. That doesn't cut it. No. The and, reason uh, Shrek caught so caught so much attention and caught people wasn't the Disney rips. It was because they no. created characters that were actually interesting on their own. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know about the Disney stuff in that until uh, much, much later in life when it was pointed out. And I went, holy shit. Okay, yeah. that makes sense now. Because Shrek has a mm-hmm. cast of characters that became iconic because they're mm-hmm. good characters. Yeah, it's, it's exactly going back to the Mike Saxon interview, like, you know, the parody ex- can exist on its own. A good parody can exist on its own. This does not. It, it's, no. Of course, it's very much ripping on the Terry Tune stuff, which Bakshi mm. is so deeply in love with. But it 
doesn't make any sense. Um, I mean, as I said, I wanted to, the animation on this God. Okay. Uh, Baby's kids was the same song. And mm -hmm. there's a reason that Bruce Harris kept working after that was because that really is some very pretty animation for a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's hideous. This is, I mean, it's, this was a movie that, okay. They said it had a $30 million budget. I can practically guarantee you it was worse. I can guarantee you because mm. you can see, I don't know. And by the way, I want to point out, unlike a lot of disaster movies, this is a, a long movie. This is 110 minutes. Mm -hmm. It is unendurable at that length. Um, it, it really is. Um, it's so yeah. bloated. It should have been 90 minutes at, like, most. At most. Yeah, I don't, I, I almost said at best, but that's not the truth. No. <laughs> at, at best, most. it should have been way shorter. Mm. Well, best it should have never happened, but um, yeah. But like, okay, Roger Rabbit is that long, but again, mm -hmm. you know what the difference is? There's a story there. There mm -hmm. are characters there. Roger Rabbit, the Weasels, Jessica Rabbit, Baby Herman. Those are iconic characters for a reason. And Roger Roger Rabbit, like the plot, moves along at a pretty good clip. Yeah. Um. I mean, I really can't get over the fact, you know, we're having to compare Gabriel Byrne in this to Bob Hoskins in that. Mm -hmm. And that is such an unfair comparison because Hoskins was a thousand percent committed. He mm -hmm. he had the rhythm down. He took it seriously. He played it like he was excited to be there. Yeah. I cannot stress enough how bored Byrne is in this movie. And it's because I think he knew his character does not have to exist in this film. Bizarre mm -hmm. as it is. You could have just made his character be an anonymous human that gets pulled in. He doesn't need all the backstory. His character doesn't have to exist. No. Um, you have a protagonist in Brad Pitt's character. Now, I think Pitt is pretty good in this movie. But there are some scenes where he is just astoundingly bad, actually. His, like his introduction to the cartoon world that was bad that is atrocious that is mm -hmm. you you if you were to tell me in 1992 oh this guy is going to work until he dies and be iconic i wouldn't have believed you because mm -hmm. he's horrible in that scene but then when he gets in and he's doing the film noir thing he gets the rhythm down mm -hmm. he gets it but i mean so what he's the sex mm -hmm. police again it doesn't matter if you're any good in a part that is horrifyingly bad. And I should know, by the way, he's the protagonist of the prequel comic. There is a four-issue prequel miniseries to this movie. Oh, boy. I will be reading it, and I will be reviewing it. Yes. I want to say one other thing. Getting back to the animation. Okay, the idea is that this is supposed to be, he's supposed to be this underground cartoonist. That Burns character is this underground cartoonist. Mm -hmm. Would, would y'all read the comics? Nah. No, no because... Okay, let, let's step back for a minute and examine the idea of the underground comic book artist trying to essentially fuck one of his characters. There's an idea there. 
there's an idea there. However, one can't help but feel a little bit of Bakshi putting himself yeah. into the story. If not Bakshi, then maybe R. Crumb. Which, mm. fuck it. Don't watch Cool World. Just watch Terry Zweigoff's documentary on Crumb two years down the road. Which is so much more interesting. Yeah. Mm. And where Crumb admits to doing that. He admits, oh. he admits, to, he admits to finding his own cartoons attractive. Mm. This is... Here's the thing. I'm, I'm really well-versed. Because I'm a comics fan, I'm well-versed in the underground comics scene. Nobody would buy this thing. One of the reasons I think Roger Rabbit worked so well was we're not straining to believe that the Baby Herman cartoons would be a hit. Mm-hmm. They're great. They're lushly animated. They're brilliantly paced. They're brilliantly executed. The ones that they did afterwards are yes. fantastic. Yes. Tummy Trouble, uh, Roller Coaster Rabbit, and uh, Camp Mix-Up, I think, is are the three. Mm-hmm. Are, they're brilliant. They're brilliant. I recommend them. You, you, they are... You believe that this would actually be a hit. You don't believe for a second that anybody would read this shit. Because this world, there are no rules to it. There is no there's no humor. There are very few characters in it. All we get are uh, interludes. Because you have like the four weird characters. I wouldn't even call them kids. They're just characters. Mm-hmm. Where it's like you have the tough talking man child or whatever that you literally saw in Bebe's kids a year before <laughs> and would eventually, and of course, Roger Rabbit. And then you would later get with uh, Seth MacFarlane's stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stewie Griffin, this is not. Oh, no. hardly. Hardly. Um, and then you have uh, the spider character, who is one of the more likable cartoons. In the movie, yeah. In, in the movie. Being a, a breakout character, I mean... Mm-hmm. Like, just adhering to like traditional character design right down to the red nose. It's mm-hmm. one of the better characters within the film. Um mm-hmm. Brad Pitt's love interest, I don't see her as a love interest at all. She doesn't really have a character. No. Nah. She's just there to want to bang him. Yeah. She just wants to bone him. And I mean, okay, it's nineteen ninety two Brad Pitt. I get it. I'm straight, and I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's just that's the main tension of their relationship. And it's like, okay, Brad Pitt, <laughs> Mr. Yes. Sex Police. Like, no. Yeah. And and then, so, so again, because I know underground comics, and I, we have one more character to get to, and believe me, we're going to have to go into full depth. So I just want to get this out of the way. You know, I'm a big fan of Howard the Duck. I am a huge mm-hmm. fan. And even though that's not really underground because it was published by Marvel, 
Howard the Duck always felt very underground. It just happened to slip through Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, James Gunn made sure it slipped through the MCU too. Yes, yes, he did. Thank you. With mm-hmm. Seth Green as uh, Howard. Perfect. I I love that. I I, I want to just as always extend my love to that comic because that was a comic that was doing these insane. It did an all prose issue. That was this experimental weird thing, and it had the Marvel label. Howard the Duck is what this wants to be. And I mean the Howard the Duck comics. Unfortunately, Howard the Duck the movie is what it lands at. And that's not even fair to Howard the Duck the movie. Because that Mm -hmm. at least had about five to ten minutes of really brilliant stuff. And then the incredible stop motion. Some really good performances. Look, if this had Leia Thompson, it would have been infinitely (laughs) better. By the way, you know that she was in the Howard the Duck comics eventually? That character? Uh, no, Thompson herself. What? Her character was from the comics, but they put her huh. in, and they wound up doing this giant, brilliant meta arc where mm-hmm. she had made a movie based on huh. Howard's story and didn't remember it. Huh. It's, it's brilliant, and it ends with the punchline of her yelling out to her husband. But let's 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 dig into this film's giant, giant problem, and it's a multi-prong problem. Mm-hmm. This entire movie is built as a vehicle to make Hollywood this iconic sex symbol cartoon. Mm -hmm. You failed so badly, it hurts. You failed so badly, it makes my eyes bleed. Mm -hmm. This is a character that has no personality except she wants to get laid. And then for some reason, she wants to conquer the universe. Yeah. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, is that what her goal was? Because I don't, I don't real know what clear. the hell her goal was. Zephyr, you just rewatched it. Can you tell me? <laughs> I mean, from my understanding, she just wants to get laid, but because mm-hmm. of the incredible power that happens because of penis, um, <laughs> she wants more of that just she just wants more, and more involves becoming a full-fleshed noid. Oh, okay, let me just fucking noid. pause for a moment. Please, let's noid, curse the noid. Uh-huh. The lexicon in this uh-huh. universe uh-huh. fucking blows. Doodles. Tunes and humans. <laughs> Remember how great tunes and humans were? Yeah. Tunes and humans. And you, you took it and you didn't, it didn't stick with you. You had Toontown. Uh-huh. And that was pretty, uh, that, that felt like it flowed. This feels mm-hmm. so forced. Like, Doys. What, what the fuck is annoyed? Like, uh-huh. are, are, we, are we getting back to Domino's? Yeah, I was going to say. It's, it doesn't make any sense. There's, I could get the doodles thing, even though that's weird because, okay, it's an alternate, I don't even Oh my god, this movie's world this movie's world building is the world <laughs> building is bad because yeah. we're we're supposed to believe that this world that has existed since World War II has been mm-hmm. playing club hits from Moby for mm-hmm. the past forty plus years. I don't understand this universe. Mm-mm. And I don't, it doesn't, I think it really is. They were improving it as they went along. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that I think Who Framed Roger Rabbit remains Who Framed Roger Rabbit is because every tiny detail 
was screwed in. Mm -hmm. uh, this includes in the comics, they even gave a backstory to Judge Doom that was brilliant. Damn. There's a comic where they gave Judge Doom a backstory, which was that he was a method actor tune who played villains so much he became one. That's good. This, they're literally making it up as they go along. By the way, I will point out, they have a different ending in the comic book adaptation of this movie than they do for Gabriel Byrne's character. They have a lot of stuff in the comic book adaptation that did not make the film, believe it or not. Like, there's a lot more scenes with Byrne's character in the human world. And none of it makes a goddamn bit of difference in the movie. The, the okay. different ending is, just to be clear, in this universe, again, he becomes a superhero. I don't even understand that shit. He becomes a tuned superhero. And then the ending is him settling down with Holly, and she's miserable. And I don't, oh my god, that's a bad ending. There is an alternate ending. Now, would you believe me if I told you that Brad Pitt's asshole ending was always the ending of the film? His what ending? His asshole. Oh, if he gets killed by a uh, tune while they're in tune form, they can. He gets turned into a doodle or whatever. The, whatever. Yeah. That was whatever. actually. Yeah. If she was, was a if she was a tune while he was getting killed, he turns into one. Which is that. Like, so does that mean that if a tune in general, I know we're calling it a tune when... Well, we're going to call it that because it's easier. Yeah, because it's easier and it flows. Anyway, so is, is that, like, a thing to where, like, in general, if a human gets killed by a tune, then the human turns into a tune? That makes I, no goddamn sense. No, it doesn't. But believe it or not, that last-minute ending was always in the film. Oh my god. However, the uh, Burns character originally outright kills Holly. He destroys her, and then it ends with the suggestion that he made it back to Cool World and is doing comics about it from there. Ah. That doesn't... That is a marginally better ending, mm. but it only underlines how much I don't give a shit about his character. Nah. My god, I cannot express enough how... And I hate this because Byrne has done some good work. He's he he is a good actor. He just mm -hmm. he doesn't belong in this movie. Mm -hmm. So it's time. Let's 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 get into the big problem that this movie has. And mm -hmm. the big problem this movie has is Hollywood. Mm -hmm. What a shit character. Again, she is all her only motivations are sex, 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 sexy, sexy, sex, 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 sex. Uh-huh. She is Annie's song from the Christmas episode of Community. The hell? Yeah, she's that. Oh, and God. she has the same effect in this movie that Brie doing that song had, which is it's complete fetish retardant. You are, <laughs> you're not turned on by the character. Wayne Hoodie understanding Christmas. Mistletoe for Edie tastes good? Oh, you smarty, me dumb, help Winnie have fun. Boopy doopy doop, boop sex. Look, eventually you hit a point of diminishing returns on the sexiness. That is brilliant. And mm -hmm. it is performed by an actress who was genuinely giving her all. The, this is a character that has no life, no brain. All she wants to do is get laid. That is not sexy. And I, I spent a long time thinking, is mm -hmm. it, you know, because let's face it, we know that cartoons can be, they can be sexy. 
Mm-hmm. And I started, I'm thinking, who could I bring up as a perfect example? And then it hit me. 1992 also gave us another blonde character who was a bombshell who would break out and become an iconic sex symbol cartoon. Mm-hmm. Compare Hollywood to Harley Quinn, shall we? Yes. Harley Quinn is a rich character. She would eventually make the leap to live action with Margot Robbie just utterly crushing it. Yes. My God, she's got that voice down perfect. She has it to the note. If y'all haven't seen the Harley Quinn cartoon, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the Harley Quinn cartoon, which is, by the way, we should point out, gay-friendly. Exactly. Um, and uh, did just got, a, just got a third season. Just got a third season. Thank God. Yeah. So... <laughs> I want to really stress, Harley Quinn, the reason that that character became a breakout bombshell character was because she's a character. Mm -hmm. Um, There is more sex appeal in a page of her 2000 series, or any of her series, just if you want, than there is in any of this, because the character is a character. She's funny. She has a personality. We, Mm -hmm. We know who this character is. There is an actual character there. She is funny. She's intelligent. They, the best stuff plays on the fact that she's a brilliant psychiatrist. Okay, so again, this character, her design is frankly disgusting. Can I just say that? Like, yeah. it's not even sexy. There it, is, There's very little sex appeal in Hollywood, which already, her, her name is a very bad spelling. It, it mm. is. Because... Like, looking at the poster where the tagline reads, Hollywood, if she could. Like, yeah, which, Mm -hmm. yes, okay, it's a play on, you know, Tinseltown and Hollywood. But the fact that her last name is actually spelled W-O-U-L-D. Is bad. That is is a a decision. Is that how they spell her name in the Mm -hmm. movie? Yes. Because That's get it? Because oh, she would bang you. Yes. Oh, that was a decision. even more now. Mm-hmm. I hate this even more now. Oh I know. god. I know. Like, if you just did wood, plain yeah. wood. W O O D. Yes. Oh, it's Jesus. still bad, but it's something. Yeah. Oh, I hate this. <laughs> yeah, but oh, no, worry, it's I've got stories to tell to make y'all really hate this coming up, so Oh man. Oh, by the way, just to be clear, this would be a good time to point this out. They put a giant, like, standee of the character next to the sign to promote the movie. Mm-hmm. And everybody, it was despised. Sit, sit, sitting on the sign, no less. Yeah, it was despised within uh, the community. Mm-hmm. It was viewed as crass and disgusting, and I'm with, I'm with them on that. Um, mm-hmm. So... You, you know what would have been a better name for what? her? Mm-hmm. Holly Woo. <laughs> Get in the Jack territory. <laughs> yes. But this, yes, it is, this is because she is so designed to be a direct porn star. That's what she is. She's designed, except here's the thing. That's not actually what the real successful porn stars look like. Uh, if you do a, a study of it, the women that do the most success in it are the ones that are dark-haired, small-breasted, don't have the inflated lips, are normal-looking women, because that's what men actually find attractive. 
Mm-hmm. She is designed as the ultimate Anna Nicole Smith type. She is all these things, and she's just so in your face, and there's nothing else there. She is not sexy. Again, yeah. Jessica Rabbit was at least playing on something. I don't. I, I don't find Jessica Rabbit particularly sexy, just to be blunt. I but think that I get it. That scene uh, where she's become human and she just like goes into the club and is like, "I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that." Is the perfect example of why this just doesn't work because it's like, you know, oh, just just <sighs> like. There are real-world equivalents to whatever you have in Cool World. Mm-hmm. Just do that, but instead we have the usual uh, tune enters the real-world bullshit mm-hmm. that you find in nearly every single... Adaptation. Yeah, every single yeah. adaptation of a children's property. It's like yeah. Splash for shitheads. <laughs> Yeah. Splash, there's a good movie. There's a it's real like, movie. You look at a character and you're like, what are you doing? It's like it's like the if uh the mask from the mask had entered, you know, the co- the Copacabana or whatever. I think that's the, the club. Anyway. Yeah. Uh or yeah, wherever the club is in the mask. If he entered the club and just did normal human shit instead mm-hmm. of like the cartoon stuff, and it'd my, be like I, they, they would have they would have escorted him out immediately. <laughs> it is so mm-hmm. unbelievably boring. And can mm-hmm. I finally end my thoughts on Kim Basinger in this movie? Because mm-hmm. I have a lot of very mean thoughts, and I am going to be very mean here. Okay. First of all, I don't think Basinger is an actress at all. Okay. Yes, I know she won an Oscar for L.A. Confidential, and L.A. Confidential is a great movie. Mm-hmm. She's okay in it. But when you look at one of the performances she beat, Julianne Moore in Boogie Nights, she beat Moore in that. Mm. Uh, Moore gave a performance that is world-class, that is top-to-bottom, unbelievable performance. And you care so much about her character. You are invested in her story. And I didn't give a shit about basing her story in L.A. Confidential. Mm. And that's a great movie. She is, first of all, she's too old for this part. I don't want to be mean, but she Mm -hmm. was too old for this role, probably by about 10 years, Mm -hmm. just to be blunt. She was, she was, she doesn't have any heat coming off of her. You know that in the first scene where they show her and it's in the lingerie, you know, it's a model, right? That's a a stand-in. Oh, really? That is... And I just want to remind y'all, we lost Drew Barrymore in 1992 in this part. Mm. Barrymore yeah. was Corona of the Sun, hot, and had comic timing. Mm. And had energy. Was She was she felt dangerous in 1992, which is bizarre for someone who now has a talk show, of all things. Mm. And who I've read a lot of stories about, apparently, is very sweet and likable, apparently, in real life. Yeah, but I believe that. In 1992, she was dangerous. There was a sense of something because she had just come off of drug addiction. She had just gotten clean. Mm-hmm. She had had a wild, wild youth. She was dangerous. Basinger has none of that. She is, she's, she's wood in this movie. 
And the fact that she wanted to show this movie to children's hospitals says it all. Uh, yeah. She does not. She is a terrible voice actress. Mm. She is a just a terrible voice actress. She has no energy. She's about as asleep as Burn is, frankly. <laughs> and this is the character that you're putting this entire movie on, this entire fulcrum. Again, going back to Harley Quinn, I keep thinking about what Arlen Sorkin, Hendon Walsh, Tara Strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the crazy thing about Strong is she is actually a dead ringer character. That's the crazy thing. She's done cosplay. Yeah. Uh, yeah these, she, she, now. she could are, play, uh, if they made this movie now, uh, she could play the part at however old she is yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, but we're, we're getting off track because I want to think about things I like. Yeah. Those actresses have energy. They have vibe. They, they are alive in their performances. She is, my, my God, basing her is dead in the water in this movie. And when your entire movie needs her as its center, mm-hmm. you're dead. You're dead in the water. And yeah, what, again, if this character, I brought up Species before, but you know, Species had a script. Mm-hmm. Species was fun. Species had an idea. And it at least knew that if its character was going to be nothing more than a biological uh, time bomb, that that was what it was going to be about. It at least mm-hmm. made that the plot. It, I don't understand this movie. There's a lot that went wrong. That went horribly, horribly mm-hmm. wrong. And I, I keep I, thinking back to how, how atrocious the animation is because there are a lot of missing frames. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's it's everywhere. Like there were very few animations that were fluid, that were believable, that were like, oh, this is actually. A cartoon and not something that was half-assed, which was the vast majority of this film. Well, it's the same that you animate on the one. Like, what does animating on the one mean? Animating on the ones means for every frame, there's a new drawing. Animating on the two means for every, for like, they'll do like two frames with one drawing. Okay, so 12 frames a second is, uh, yeah. as opposed to 24. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So and someone down. who would be someone who would animate on the ones, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I have to bring up this fuckwit again, is John Crick Falusi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you, animating above the ones is TV level. It's, yeah. I see it a lot in the DC animated movies. I see it a lot. Um, yeah, the that's... O- uh... Really, really, the only time you would ever animate on a one is if you were rotoscoping. Yeah. Which he has background in. This, I wish there had been rotoscoping, because it would have looked better. That yeah. is, this animation is... And that's the thing. When your core things, the animation and the acting, are not working, your movie cannot work. And I keep going back to what just a broken idea, the idea of a sex-filled cartoon is. Mm-hmm. It is a broken 
bad idea, and this movie is only existing for that. There's a reason the plot doesn't make any sense, is because if Bakshi could have gotten away with it, it would have just been a porno, a human and a cartoon having sex. Yep. And because that's all I think he wanted to do. I think that's the only thing he was interested in. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think he gave a shit about the plot. I don't think he gave a shit about anything else. He just wanted to go be dirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, nah. Nah, man. No. no. Not on the <laughs> slightest. And, Mm-mm. like, if you wanted to stick with this idea of an underground comics artist, you could have easily taken the same idea of what David Cronenberg did with Naked Lunch and just yes. model somebody who looked like, well, in Naked Lunch, it would be William Burroughs. You, he could have easily just done an R. Crumb model and go from there. But he didn't. He fucking didn't. Instead, we have this fucking slag who does nothing. Who's only really famous for drawing buxom babes while he's in prison. And mm-hmm. anybody could do that. Yeah. Anybody really could. It's not a... And I just, again, I just don't get this movie. I don't... Who is this movie for? I really don't know. <laughs> it, I think it's for Ralph Baxi. It, But he was miserable with it. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm. Then it's for nobody. Because, of course, again, he didn't get his vision in the slightest. Let's be clear. This mm-hmm. was such a studio-compromised movie. Mm-hmm. But I don't even think I don't even think the idea of a half human, half cartoon going crazy is that interesting. I Yeah, it's gonna one of the questions I was gonna pose is is there any universe in which this movie would have worked? No, not at all. Yeah. I thought that would be the answer. I don't know. I at think least, the idea is broken. Yeah. At least not in a mainstream context. It's it's not, and this is really uh, one thing I really want to point out is for a supposed comedy, this is such an unfun movie. Yeah, it is. It's miserable. Yeah, no, it's a slog. It's 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 rough. It's a rough sit. Like I, it's uh, loud. It's very it's loud. loud. It's, it's noisy. It's loud. It's visually obnoxious. It's mm-hmm. sonically obnoxious. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what movie did playing by cartoon rules, but in a live action setting, really well. Because I'm going to bring this guy back up again. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim is a loud movie. Scott Pilgrim is a noisy movie. That movie makes me so happy. But it's a great movie. Scott mm-hmm. Pilgrim is fucking perfect from start to finish. Yes. Apparently, apparently, uh, just just side note. I heard that they're making an anime of the comics with the movie voices. Uh, that would be cool. I don't need it. Um, <laughs> I got I've got the version I need, mm-hmm. but I'll I'll probably still watch it. I just mm-hmm. Scott Pilgrim 
is what I think this movie wanted to be, which is mm-hmm. you're playing with the real speed racer is another movie that yes. plays with the realities. Yeah. But you know what the problem is those are by the Wachowski sisters and Edgar Wright. Those mm-hmm. are genius filmmakers. Those are revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie gives away that Ralph Bakshi never was a revolutionary. He was he was one of a group of guys doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't all that distinguished at it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I just the fact that this was a mainstream release blows my mind. The fact that Paramount made this their this was their summer movie in nineteen ninety two. I'm serious. This was Paramount. This was this was I was in the theaters that summer. They hyped it to the sky. This was huge for them. Mm. And I cannot imagine looking at this and thinking this was going to be anything special. I can't, imagine, <laughs> I can't imagine that they didn't find a way to contractually bury it. Mm-hmm. This feels like one of those movies that should have gotten a three screen release so that they could legally write it off. And then that was it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Because this is bad. I mean... Well, the one saving grace is the soundtrack. It fucking slaps. Well, you know, this is David Bowie's first work in three years. David yeah. Bowie did the soundtrack? He did, well, he did the song he, on it. The, hmm. the credit song, which yeah. is fascinating. But you have Thompson Twins and Moby and Brian Eno working... Or at least performing on on the soundtrack, along with mm. a bunch of other folks like the Cult and My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult with a K. So and if you were a cult mm. uh, group, this was a good group. This was a good soundtrack to be on. Yeah, and mm. it, the soundtrack has actually charted on the Billboard 200 back in its day, mm-hmm. uh, and is still a legendary album. It is. And it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful soundtrack, and but at the same time, you can't help but try and reconcile the fact that you have tunes dancing to club music in World War II era, technically, <laughs> as, like... and they somehow inadvertently invented it. Uh-huh. Or at least it's implied when you spend way too much time thinking about this fucking movie. Uh-huh. Well, again, I'm going to go back to Roger Rabbit. It is mm-hmm. set in the 1940s, and it is completely set there. They even keep the designs of the characters to where they were in the 1940s. Yeah. Betty Boop. It is, <laughs> it is a movie that is, there is no getting around it. It is not a movie that you because again they thought their goddamn world out, and I it really occurs to me if the movie had been the world of this soundtrack, it would have been a classic. It would have been something if they had started with the soundtrack and worked backwards, mm. and that's the opposite of what they did, and it they lost because I don't know, mm-hmm. I like. Another movie that this reminds me of is um, Tron Legacy, which is also so soundtrack dependent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at least then the visuals are brilliant. 
Mm-hmm. At least then there's something to look at. And it's a fun-ass movie. I love Tron Legacy. Yeah, same. This is... I just... I, like, I feel like I should have more to say about this movie, too. But it's just nothing works. Mm-hmm. No, nothing, nothing really works in it, aside from the soundtrack. And, again, Pitt has a couple of good scenes, but his character is broken. That, and I really think that's kind of the mistake that Bakshi made, was he cast the runner-up, and then he was just so much more interested in it. <laughs> and I get it, man. I, I, I get it. You've got Brad Pitt in 1992. I would make the movie around that too. But I would. God, the script is so broken. By the way, this destroyed the screenwriter's career. I want to point this out. Yeah. Um, they did not write another original script ever. Oof. And they wrote Poltergeist, and they never wrote another original script. Ooh. I think they got polished work at the end of the decade, and then they wouldn't get another credit ever. That's sad. It is sad, um, mm-hmm. but not undeserved. I'm sorry, not undeserved. If you wrote this, I don't. I don't care who butchered you. I don't care if you butchered Bakshi. I don't give a shit. This mm. is bad writing. Mm. And I don't think this is a case where. I just again, I just don't think there was ever a redeemable idea. Mm. God, this is a bad movie. Yeah. Good lord. <laughs> I'm glad we're finally talking about it, but... Mm-hmm. At what cost? At what At cost? What cost? Yeah, we've been we've been sitting on this one for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, months. months. Months, plural. Yeah, like, we, we... We got a more interesting subject out of the way before we... Uh, before we thought of doing this one. <laughs> and I think it really is because fundamentally, what do you mm-hmm. say about this movie beyond nothing's good? Yeah. Nothing is good and everything sucks. And I, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. And even as someone who has sat through Bakshi's theatrical work, mm-hmm. this one is really only for completionists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, like, yeah. This isn't one to put on your must-see bad movie watch list. Mm. It, no, don't do that. Well, this is about the same point that Troll 2 came out. And yeah. Troll 2 is so much more entertaining. I, I, I would happily watch Troll 2 any day over this movie. Because Troll mm-hmm. 2 is fun. I have a great time watching Troll 2. There is the... It's funny. Troll 2 is weird. It's original. It sticks with me. I remember Troll 2. Uh-huh. I don't give a shit about this movie. It's not fun. It's not fun bad. It's just bad bad. And I think it's soulless. Mm-hmm. It's so soulless. Mm-hmm. What a waste. And, and not, not even soulless, like soulless in, in, the, in the terminology that we use for like corporate cash grabs like like the emoji movie or Mm -hmm. the play Mm -hmm. mobile movie which exists yeah Yeah, to offer discounted tickets to yeah Facebook uh, advertise the shit out of for whatever reason they we all know why we all know why they saw the Lego movie 
Mm-hmm. Same movie. First, same as the first. Mm-hmm. Except that the Lego movie and the Lego movie 2, the second part, have so much soul that it's pathetic. Mm-hmm. Both of those are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant movies, and I would yes. rather be talking about them, frankly. Uh, the mm-hmm. second one, I don't think it's enough love. Yeah, absolutely. The second one's amazing. The second one is a fantastic sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just really, there's no soul here. There's no beating heart. There's no emotion. There's no feeling. It's just ugly and sad and depressing. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Like, it was a chore to sit through the first time out of sheer curiosity. It was a mm-hmm. chore to sit through the second time for the cast. Mm-hmm. And when something, when literally anything becomes a chore to sit through, mm-hmm. do we even need to discuss it? Oh, God. Because let, let's face it, we we've spent more than an hour torching this film to the mm-hmm. best of our ability, charbroiling it, <laughs> just fucking deep frying it and letting the place burn down. <laughs> when we said burn it down, we meant it. This really is a good last film for uh, for this iteration for this reason because. Mm-hmm. It captures, I think, why discussing bad movies stopped being fun over the last decade. Yeah. It, yeah. <sighs> Our namesake was The Room. And uh, over the last decade, you know, we squeezed as much enjoyment as we could out of it, I think. And uh, I will still watch The Disaster Artist any day and read yeah. the book. But, like, the actual movie, you know, especially when uh looking at tommy's other works like it it loses you guys covered the neighbors for fuck's sake yeah and i think that that exposed why Mm -hmm. it stopped being fun because one of Mm -hmm. the things that i will say about troll 2 is that it it then opens up the door to claudio fragasso's other works Mm -hmm. and he had a lot of other movies that were just that insane he was a fascinating, weird guy. He made interesting movies. Mm-hmm. This is just... But when you look at what's been canonized as the new bad movies in recent years, they're not fun. Um, I don't. A friend of mine just watched Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. I didn't want to discuss Ooh. it with her. Ooh, uh-uh. Because it's not fun. It's, it's uh-huh. not... I don't want to discuss Star Wars, The Rise mm. of Skywalker. I could probably do a cast that it would be infinitely longer than this episode on mm. that movie. I don't want to discuss it. It's not yeah. fun. I don't like there being a Star Wars movie that I could say that about, by the way. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I'm ready. We're all ready to move on. It's, yeah. it's, it's been a fun ride. Mm-hmm. I can tell y'all that one of the first casts that we're going to have under the Omniplex, we are going to talk about some all-time classic art. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to look at some good stuff. We're going to be looking at some good stuff there. Um, yeah. And we also I, we also wanted to expand a little bit. 
We did. We, we wanted to mm-hmm. not just talk. And we've been doing that sort of, you know, here and there. Bit. We did the book cast. And mm-hmm. we, we do want to, um, you know, I guess I can yeah. safely say we are going to be discussing radio dramas very soon. Mm-hmm. We are going to be discussing. I, I want to discuss comic strips. I want to discuss other stuff. Mm-hmm. I, we want to. There's t, there's so much good TV. I'm really looking oh, forward yeah. to Wandavision. We're gonna have a lot to talk yes. about when that comes. That looks so good. Oh God, yes. And you know the reason for the Omniplex, which we racked our brains, and then Austin just Saturday morning, I got it. <laughs> I had a went. really good situation that got my brain going so yeah and we both went whoa so but yeah it's uh movie theaters these days well movie theaters these days are i went to one set you know (laughs) i went to one recently but yeah so but they yeah they're they're doing more like they're showing uh like they're showing episodes of tv shows they're they're uh broadcasting um uh broadway uh, they're doing more, and I think yeah, we we can do more too. It's yeah, yeah. I think you, uh, Austin, you put it uh, in your email to a certain somebody. Uh, you put it uh, where I went. Yeah, that's the term I've been looking for: film and culture. Mm-hmm. Film and culture. That's what. That's perfect. And that's yeah. what we're gonna do now. I mean. Will we still cover bad movies on the Omniplex? Yes, of course we will. Of course. Probably soon, too, because yeah. that's just inevitable. But mm-hmm. we have gotten away. The thing is, it's not even so much that we're going to stop doing that. It's that we've gotten away from it. And yeah. we're just formalizing that. We've outgrown it. Yeah. And, you know. We'll, we'll do a bad film if there's something interesting to say on it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. we're not. We're not going to just cover God's Not Dead 3 because we need to. Yeah. yeah. Well, we probably will anyway, I expect. <laughs> I'm, I still want us to cover 3. I'm just yeah, going to do that. Yeah. I still want us to Me cover too. 3. Me I still too. want us we, to cover 3. Yeah, just because, well, it sounds interesting. Where they <laughs> yeah, but that will actually be something to talk about. I kind of mm. wish I I kind of wish I hadn't reviewed House, to be honest, because I think y'all would have enjoyed it. How? Yeah. I think y'all would have actually enjoyed it, enjoyed it in a legitimate way because a year out from having watched it, mm-hmm. it, it may have been a really horrible, sexist, bigoted movie, but I mm-hmm. sure kind of had fun watching it. Hmm. I love, but all that's in the future, and um, mm-hmm. you know, it's nice that we're setting the sun on this iteration of the cast, but yeah, gonna keep going. Bound, yeah. bound. Bound and rebound. rebound. Yeah. Think about that a lot. I think about that a lot. That's where I'm at in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put. I don't have anything else to say about Cool World. I don't have anything else to say about what's coming for us. Mm-hmm. But I've been Austin Shin. I've been Albert Wiltfong. And I've been Zephyr Ash. Yes. We will see, see you. See you when the multiplex, see you when the Omniplex opens. Yep, see you when the Omniplex opens very soon. Bye, everybody. Farewell. Theomniplex.org. And that's the button on it. Yay. That's the film room.
beautiful landscape. Let's see. We can put the house over here, the studio over here. I'll still draw, of course. We'll raise children over here. I'll fight crime over there. Oh, we're going to be deliriously happy, honey-foo. <laughs> Pencil dick.